Episode 223 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log, with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. You can get a free three-day trial of the Ground School app by visiting learnthefinerpoints.com. I'm Emily Heron. I am a general aviation airport manager, a third generation J3 Cub owner and private pilot, and I am a fierce advocate for general aviation. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams, and I am your host. Today's episode is the first episode I've ever done with an airport manager. I interview Emily at the airport from Instagram. You might know her for some reels, some cool pictures that she does. She has a great story about how she became an airport manager. And I even I even came and had to say that I do not know how airport managers come to be. How does one ever become an airport manager? And I have an aviation management degree from Ohio State. Price is more about me than my actual degree that I got at Ohio State, but you know, it was, it was a good learning experience for everyone. Uh, it, it sounds like an awesome job, especially where she is at in the country. She doesn't worry about noise complaints too much, but I hope you guys all enjoy this episode. It was a lot of fun to talk with her and hear about her goals, her ambitions, and just how she got to where she did. So if you like this episode, follow her on Instagram, Emily at the airport. Follow me, Pilot the Pilot. Check out Pilot's Coffee. We are currently moving. I am in my closet because it's the only room that doesn't have an echo. So uh, we're sleeping on an air mattress for the next couple of days. Uh, should be interesting, but uh, we are on the way to North Carolina. Uh, hopefully soon you'll be hearing me from uh, our new house down in North Carolina. But Aviation, I want to keep you any longer. So any further ado, here's Emily. Emily, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Hey, Justin. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. I honestly think you were the first airport manager that I've ever had on the podcast. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be the first. No pressure, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> I took an airport management class in when I was at Ohio State, and I can't remember his name. Doug Hammond? No, that's not right. Something Hammond. But he was our uh, he he ran the airport at Ohio State, and it's in a community. Lots of houses are around, and he just said, pretty much all he does is answer noise complaints from <laughs> from neighbors. <laughs> and I, like you said, uh, other people didn't get to listen to this. But in the before we started recording, you mentioned that you're in the country, so you don't have to worry about that as much. No, not too much. My airport is probably about five miles outside of the town. Um, So I would say probably a decent percentage of our community has no idea it's even there, Um, which I guess is good for us. We definitely don't have to deal with the noise complaints. Um, All we have around us is corn or beans and, uh, you know, some houses here and there, but nothing crazy like um, big airports that are right in the middle of town. Yeah, not yet until everyone starts moving out to the country, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, we'll get to like your flying in a little bit. I'm more interested right now in the airport manager route because I love to touch on other jobs you can have in aviation. Like you don't have to be an airline pilot. There's so many cool things you can do. And being an airport manager is maybe something people never really thought about. They never, they always see that there's an airport manager, but they never know how someone becomes an airport manager. So talk a little bit about your journey to getting to where you are today. Uh, is this, was this always a goal? Uh, did it just kind of stumble upon it? Kind of share some insight on that. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I would say, you know, I'm a person that grew up around aviation. Um, as I said, my I have had a, a cub in my family since my dad was a baby. So I know nothing other than flying uh, my entire life. But most of the flying I did growing up was on grass strips, um, privately owned airports. So I didn't really have much of a view of the public use airport growing up other than you know, when I was doing my flight training, we would go over to the city municipal airport so that I could practice landing on the pavement and stuff like that. And of course, I had to go go there for my check ride and things like that. But other than that, I I, I didn't really have much of a view of that. Um, I knew what an FBO was, of course, and, you know, stopped at airports on my cross countries and things like that. But that just wasn't something I ever thought of or considered as a career. Um, growing up, all of the people in aviation, for the most part, that I knew were military. Um, I grew up right next to an Air Force base. So I all of the pilots that I kind of grew up around, my dad's friends, they were all Air Force guys or former Air Force guys, uh, which was awesome. There are some really, really good pilots. So I, I was thankful to get to kind of hang with that crew. But, um, you know, I, I knew that was not the path I wanted. I didn't want to go into the military. Um, and then, of course, I knew, you know, being an airline pilot was also an option, but that was never something that intrigued me or enticed me. Um, I I like flying low and slow, and you know, kind of piddling from here to there. Um, so getting in a big jet and flying for three hours sounded terribly boring to me. Um, so I just didn't, you know, aviation just wasn't ever really something I considered as a career path. My dad was a an educator, and flying was a hobby for him. It was something we did for fun after work, you know, a, a way to release and unwind. Um, something we did on the weekends. So it just wasn't ever something I really considered um, as a career. Like I said, I, I didn't think I could make a career out of flying my cub. Um, Instagram might be changing that, but you know, it wasn't something that I, I thought, hey, this is what I want to do with my life until I was an adult. Um, I, I got into education. <clears throat> I loved my job. I worked with families, um, low-income families at the elementary school that I worked at. But it, I knew it wasn't, you know, my passion. It wasn't something that just I was excited to get up and go to every single day. Um, and so I would say about five years ago, I was asked to be on our local airport board um, at our little small town airport in the town I live in in Kentucky. And um, so I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds fun. Cool. Um, so I, I did. And um, that's when I really kind of got my first taste of what it's like to run an airport or operate an airport being behind the scenes. Well, how do we get funding for all of these things, you think of pavement maintenance and um, building hangers and replacing the lighting systems. And, you know, you just as a pilot, sometimes we just take all of those things for granted and we just come in and we fly places, we land, we, you know, put fuel on the plane and we take back off. We don't think about how did how did this asphalt get here and how did that fuel tank get there and who pays for all of that? And um, that was something I'd never considered before. But when I started learning about it, I just kind of absolutely fell in love with it. So unfortunately, at the time, um, the our small little rural airport, uh, we didn't really have the money. Our our county didn't have the money to pay an airport manager. So the airport board was kind of in charge of, you know, running the airport essentially. Um, so I I ended up becoming chairman of the board or chairwoman of the board, and I you know was working all day at a school, and then at three thirty in the afternoon, I would go out to the airport and spend an hour or two out there doing paperwork or fuel quality control checks. Uh, whatever it may be. And, um, you know, it was just kind of one of those things where I was like, okay, if I can figure out how to get paid to just be at the airport all day, I could be a happy person. Um, and then in probably late winter of 2020, an opportunity came about at an airport in kind of the next town over, about 45 minute drive from where I live. And I just felt like it was too good of an opportunity for me to pass up and uh, was very thankful to 
have the opportunity to go in an interview and got the job. And here I am two years later. Um, it was an interesting start to my a total career shift at age 35, switching from education to aviation. And it, I literally started March 2nd, 2020. Oh, <laughs> and then we all know what happened yeah. about two weeks later. Solid <laughs> so, timing. <laughs> yeah, things got a little crazy for a while there. But thankfully, because I'm at a general aviation airport, you know, commercial traffic wasn't um, anything we had to deal with. And after about the first six to eight weeks, I would say um, our corporate traffic picked right back up. And uh, so it, it didn't affect us as long as, you know, the pandemic has affected commercial service airport. Yeah. And but, what what's the process for interviewing for something like that? Is it like someone like, you know, calls you is like, hey, yeah. uh, we want you to apply for this. Come interview or and like there's a board of directors. Kind of talk about that. Yeah. So I would say it's different at every airport, depending on. Um, how the airport is run. And I know from state to state, those kinds of things vary. Um, in the state of Kentucky, we have a state law that kind of dictates how airports are um, operated. So we all, every airport, every public use airport in the state of Kentucky has to have a board. Um, and even the makeup of the board is dictated by certain things in the law. But um, so there's a board of directors for sure. But the FBO at my airport is city run. So it's not a privately owned FBO, like signature millionaire or anything like that. It's, it's, so I'm, I'm the airport manager and the FBO manager. Um, but so it was actually kind of a friend of a friend that knew that I, you know, loved what I did out at the airport and was kind of passionate about that, that her husband worked, um, for the city, the city of Madisonville, where my airport is. And so, um, you know, they kind of reached out to me and said, Hey, um, we've got this airport manager position open. Would you possibly be interested, you know, in applying? And, you know, so that's kind of what got the process started for me. And then I got in touch with the people there at the city. So I was, I was interviewed by the airport board chairman, um, the city administrator for the city. Uh, and then there was a couple other people in on the interview, um, from the city and I think one other board member. So it was kind of a little committee between the city and the board. Um, but at a lot of airports, it, the board of directors is who does all of the hiring. Um, a lot of airport managers or airport staff work directly for the board of directors or the airport commission, whatever it's called in your state. Um, and then there are some like mine that you work directly for the city or the county, the municipality. Um, so that's kind of the case for me. I, I technically work for the city of Madisonville, um, which I enjoy. But yeah, so that's kind of how how that process was. Came in and interviewed and then was offered the job. and. Here I am. I don't know if you know this, but what's like the typical path for someone to get to where you are? Is it uh, you usually have to be on the board or you have to work for the airport or can you just be a, a you might hear everyone, they might hear screaming babies. There's two babies in my apartment right now. <laughs> so if anyone hears that, I apologize. But uh, what's the what's the path like typical? Is Just like a random pilot can be like, I want to be the airport manager or do you have to have some sort of experience uh, along the way to get to where you got? Yeah, I would say, honestly, too, that's the number one question I get asked from people on social media um, is how do I become an airport manager? And there's so many different paths you can take to get here. It's, it's kind of a hard question to answer one specific way. Um, of course, obviously, one way um, into airport management, especially if you want and have a desire or a passion to work at larger airports, commercial service airports, that type of thing, if you want to work in operations or, you know, be an executive uh, director or something like that at an airport someday, I would suggest if you're, if you can, if you haven't already gone to college, go to college and, you know, major in airport management. 
um, you, you came from a, an aviation program in, in college. So, you know, you know, kind of there's that path within a lot of aviation programs, um, around the country and lots of, lots of great universities that offer that. Um, that is not the path I took. I have a college degree. I graduated from UK with a degree in psychology, um, which is probably helpful working with pilots all day. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't have a degree in aviation management. Um, a lot of places also, consider a degree in business administration or public administration to be pretty much just as worthy, I would say, as an aviation management degree um, when you're looking at higher level executive positions at larger airports. For small airports, it it just varies. Um, The person who was my predecessor did not have a college degree. He was actually a licensed A&P and he had worked for the FBO at the airport for many years. And then um, when the city took over the FBO, then they asked him to stay on as the airport manager. And, and he did that for like 12 years. So, you know, at smaller airports, I think you have a lot more wiggle room as far as your education and that type of thing goes. Any aviation experience is helpful, even if it's just that you're a pilot, because you, as a pilot, you do have a working knowledge of what an airport is, how it, you know, how it operates to some degree. Um, there's a lot more to learn than we realize just as pilots, but it, it does give you a leg up from just some person off the street that were, you know, to apply for the job, having no aviation knowledge whatsoever. Um, so I would say for anybody that's, you know, interested in potentially going that path or going that route, um, use whatever experience you have and then find out how to get more experience and get more knowledge. And there's a couple of ways you can do that. Um, if you, you know, are looking for a job and you say, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, maybe apply for a line service tech job at the airport um, that you learn a lot as a line tech um, as far as, you know, how things work, airfield inspections, fueling, all of the the kind of big important things I would say that we do. Um, you're going to learn a lot about that just from that job. And that's definitely going to help you. Even if it's just, you know, coming in and being an office manager, then you're learning the book side of things. You're learning the invoicing and the finances. Um, so all of those kind of different little paths are helpful and useful if that's a you know path that you want to take, um, if you know you're kind of like me and you know maybe that's not really an option, then getting involved with the board of directors is a good thing. If you you know are a person who knows somebody that can you know put you on the board of directors, that's great. If not, then most board of directors meetings should be open meetings. Um, so go to them, sit in them get to know the people that are there, um, show your face and show your interest. And again, that's a great place to learn about the airport. You you hear the finance report every month and you hear what projects are going on and what's coming up and what needs to be done and how things are happening and, you know, reports from the airport manager or the FBO manager or whatever it is. So that, that's another good place to just kind of soak up some knowledge. And then that way, you know, if you're ready to apply for a job or whatever, then then you already have that that base knowledge that you can come into an interview and, and know what you're talking about. What's one thing you'd say that you were, I don't know if a surprise, but uh, shocked you just a little bit about uh, becoming an airport manager, even when you were kind of making the transition uh, by working at the elementary school and still uh, doing kind of the board of directors. What was something that you were shocked to learn about running an airport or just being involved with an airport like that? I would say the money. Um, you just don't think about how much things cost. Um, you know, we're at my airport right now. We're getting ready to have a runway overlay. So they'll they'll take the pavement and totally mill it down and then put, you know, brand new asphalt on it and paint it. And it's going to be like a one point high number million dollar job. 
Um, so, you know, it, it, it costs a lot to pave, you know, you think of 6,000 feet of runway, that's over a mile, hundred feet wide. That's, that's a lot of pavement. Um, and pavement is not cheap. Um, neither is literally anything else on an airport. Like you could, you know, throw up a barn in your backyard and you put the same exact building on an airport and it's going to cost three times as much just because we have all of the FAA regulations that we have to follow and go around and there's all these stipulations and we have to use specific engineering firms and things like that. Um, which is, you know, it's all for a reason, but it's just one of those things. Um, so I think, yeah, the money, just knowing how much things cost and, and how you, how you attain that money and how, you know, how you would, if you, if we didn't have FAA dollars, if we didn't have a state aviation, um, department that helped with funding certain projects, there's just no possible way small towns would be able to, um, keep up you know, all of these little general aviation airports that we have all over the place that are so vital to their community. Uh, but there's no possible way that the communities would be able to support them financially without that outside grant funding. Yeah. So you were mentioning how you really can't survive without the funding. Maybe not survive is the right word, but the airports, especially small town airports, would look drastically different. Um, but what does the income of an actual airport look like though? Like I know fuel sales have to be a huge chunk of everything, but like what what is a how does a, a standard airport country airport actually bring in and make? I don't know if that's public knowledge or not, but is it less than people think? More than people think? Um, probably less than people think. Um, I would say the average small town general aviation airport doesn't even make enough money to sustain ourselves. Um, we do receive funding from our local um, government, our, you know, whether it's your county government or your city government, or in some cases it's a city county airport. And so you, you know, get some funding to help with day-to-day operations from them. But I know with my airport, if we went on fuel sales and hangar rental, which is the majority of our income um, alone, um, and we actually also, uh, another big income for us is because we have a lot of property and we're out in the country. We actually uh, lease a lot of our property for farming. So we have corn and beans that gets grown on our property. Um, and then, you know, we get money from that from the people who farm it. But other than that, like we would barely be able to pay our electric bill, our water bill, um, and, you know, keep our building in decent shape with just, you know, the money that we made from those things. Um, we would, I, I don't think we would go under, but we certainly wouldn't be able to improve. It would be difficult for us to grow. Um, when things break, like we have two 12,000 gallon self-serve fuel tanks that are both probably pushing 20 years old at this point, 20, 25 years old. So, you know, those things on those pumps break all the time and you have to, you know, call and get a replacement parts or you have to get somebody to come up that's qualified to actually work on them. Um, our lights, we're getting ready to get a new airfield lighting system in a couple of years with FAA money. But the lighting system we have, again, is probably 25 years old or more. And um, those lights burn out. The things happen to them and they're something's not working right. You know, and I get calls that, you know, somebody was coming in on a citation at, you know, eight o'clock at night and the lights wouldn't come on or they wouldn't come up to full brightness or the odals wouldn't work, whatever it is. So there's, there's always something breaking. And every time something breaks, it costs more money to fix. So it would be very difficult even just for us to be self-sustaining without um, that extra money. But then we certainly, there's just no possible way we would have the money to, you know, do any major repair or major, um, you know, major jobs. But yeah, I mean, as far as our income goes, I would say it's probably less than most people think. We do make some money off of fuel sales. 
And then, of course, we have hanger rental, tea hangers, community hangers. We rent out space to an upholstery shop and a mechanic and things like that. But um, it's just it's just not enough. You've got to you've got to kind of be competitive. So people want to you know stay at your airport or they want to stop at your airport for fuel and things like that. Um, so you can't you know. And, and right now, I'll just be honest: the fuel sales is it is hard to stay competitive and actually turn a profit on fuel sales right now with the way fuel has just absolutely skyrocketed over the last few months. And that makes it difficult, you know, for us to uh, actually be able to make any sort of a decent profit without running everybody off. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, uh, just like, you know, how pilots are, they're the cheapest people in the world. So if you put one cent up, (laughs) they're like, I'm not going there ever again. I can't believe Emily raised my prices. How dare her? (laughs) It's all her fault. I'm going to fly 10 miles out of the way to this other airport, you know, so that I can waste more fuel going there to buy cheaper gas. It makes sense. Rationally. It makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) We've all been there before though, right? Like, I mean, we've all had that dumb thought before. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Um, as I guess the other thing about an airport though, is when you think about like, maybe the, it doesn't make as much money as someone would think, or maybe most people think it doesn't make much money, but it brings a value to the community though, too. Like the money that it's able to create for the local community is usually pretty great as well. And that's something that I honestly am trying, my husband is an accountant. And so he has the like spreadsheet brain. I do not, I don't even know how to like do a sum on a spreadsheet. I have to call him and ask him. Um, that's not how my brain is wired. So I'm like, tell me how to quantify, you know, what we bring into our community that the money that comes through this airport, because, um, you know, people have, like I said, there's, there's a good percentage of people in our community that have no idea the airport even exists. Um, we're outside of town. So people just, you know, if, if they don't go out to that part of the County, then they might not even know that it's there. And, if they knew the amount of business that comes into that airport, um, we have lots of industries, factories, coal mining is a pretty big part of the area where we are in Western Kentucky. Um, so a lot of the industries in our community are, are big, you know, places that manufacture parts for the coal mines. So parts for all of the machines and equipment that they use. And their, you know, corporate headquarters are not based here in, in Hopkins County, Kentucky. They're based somewhere else. So, you know, they fly their corporate people in and out um, or, or people to come in and, and bring parts or fix things or whatever it is. Um, and, and we get a lot of that traffic in. And um, it, it would be so different if we didn't exist. And every time they wanted to come or bring somebody or look at potentially, you know, putting in, you know, expanding their warehouse or expanding their manufacturing plant or whatever it is, if they had to fly into, you know, Nashville International Airport and then get in a, a rental car and drive an hour and a half up to Madisonville, Kentucky, and then go to their plant. And, you know, that just makes your whole day different when you've got to get up, you've got to go through TSA, you've got to do the whole thing, then you've got to drive to the place and then you got to drive back and then you got to go through TSA again and get home. That's a, that's a two to three day trip. Whereas when you're flying on a, a corporate or private jet, as you know, then you wake up, you walk to the airport, you a lot of times pull right out to your airplane, walk on the airplane, you get there, you get in your car, you go, and you're home for dinner. Like it's a totally different day and it makes a big difference for those businesses and industries and corporate people. So that having a, an airport that not only is there, but also can provide the services they need that has full service, you know, having a, a jet a truck makes a big difference for us. 
um, compared to a lot of the smaller airports around us. And people want to come to our airport because they know that we provide good service. They know that the pilots can come and be comfortable. They have a crew car to go to town and get lunch while the business people are off doing their jobs. Um, so people, you know, they they like our community because of what we offer at the airport. And that's that's the first view that a lot of business people see of our community starts right there on the ramp at the airport. Um, and I would say the average citizen has no clue about that. They They have no idea that you know, people are making multi-million business decisions, multi-million dollar business decisions based on what goes on at the airport. Um, so, you know, that's a huge part of it. But then also you think of the value that we bring in, um, you know, flight training. Our community college has a flight school and they do a lot of flight training there. And, and so we're helping develop, you know, people in our area who want to have successful careers in aviation. And we're helping to, you know, provide flight training. Um, they're hoping to get a, a school started soon for, or a, a program for mechanics. So we're hopefully going to be training, you know, aviation mechanics soon as well. Um, then you have the emergency services. So you have the, the helicopters and the planes that, you know, life flight comes in, they need fuel or they've got to transport a patient or, you know, a, an organ or whatever it is. You've got that going on. Um, that's, you know, life or death situations, life-saving situations that we help to provide, whether it's just the fuel for the helicopter or the patient, you know, coming out and getting on, whatever it is. Um, disaster relief. We had a huge tornado that came through Western Kentucky back in December um, that absolutely devastated a tiny town in our county. Um, and even though the tornado came about a mile um, within within a mile of the airport, we had lots of debris, no damage. But what I wasn't expecting was the two weeks after that, I we were so busy because everybody that had an airplane in, and I don't even just mean in Kentucky or in, you know, within an hour. So I had people from Atlanta, from Ohio, from Indiana, Missouri, packing their small, you know, Cessna 172s or Cessna 210s or uh, Moonies, whatever it was, packing them full of supplies and then flying them to my airport. And then we distributed them to the people who got them to people in need in our community. Um, so, you know, just tons and tons of stuff like that, that people never think about um, is, is the value that we help to bring to our community. The, the economic development, you know, value in and of itself is, is a huge part of that. Um, but there's, there's so much more to it than that. And, you know, that's, that's what I'm trying to, you know, help kind of teach people because I, even, like I said, growing up as a pilot, I never knew a lot of these things. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely provide a lot of value for our community. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard for the average person to see that when one, maybe they don't see how that value directly affects them, but in a way it does because without that oh, airport, yeah. it would, their quality of life and they, instead of having like a, a Kroger, it might go down to like a Piggly Wiggly or you might have <laughs> some other kind of, you know, <laughs> like you go from being right. somewhat sub suburban to more remote without that airport. Right. Well, and even just the amount, you know, like I said, when a business person comes in and they say, wow, this airport is helping me to get get my job done quickly and efficiently, we're going to place our, our manufacturing plant or our warehouse or whatever it is here. And how many jobs that then provides to people in our community, because they're not bringing in people to work in those manufacturing plants. They're, they're getting people from right there in our community to work. So, you know, th that, that's another value that it brings as well. Was that tornado, the, was it the candle factory? Was that the one that was in your community? 
Yes. So the candle factory was actually in a different community than mine. That was in Mayfield, Kentucky, which is further west from us, but it's same tornado. I mean, it was on the ground for like 250 miles. So it went through a little town called Dawson Springs, which is in the county where um, I'm located. And so, uh, yeah. That's awful. I'm sorry about that. I'm sure that was definitely not an easy or hasn't been an easy year for the community at all. Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's been tough, but it it was, it was really um, as horrible and heartbreaking. You know, we, we had several deaths in our County from that, but as horrible as that was, it was really neat to see how everybody responded, you know, in the midst of that tragedy and, and came together, even just people from the aviation community. Yeah, absolutely. And it goes to show how great people actually can be, even though for most of the year or your life, not right. staying you, but like me and everyone else can think that people suck. But as much as we think that people can be great at certain times, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We, none of, none of us were talking about politics or religion or any of the other things that we argue over all the time. You know, we were just pitching in to help and what can we do and how can we help? So what's something that keeps an airport manager up at night? Like what is, uh, it doesn't even have to be uh, just like day-to-day basis. And then I can ask a question based on what's like for the overall health of the airport in general and longevity. So break it down to two different parts. What keeps you up at night the most? What what are you thinking about on a day-to-day basis for uh, the airport? Um, gosh, well, to answer what keeps me up at night the most, it's probably just the like, what if question, um, emergency procedures, uh, you know, especially coming from a pilot background, I know that the two most critical times of flight happen on my airport or within a mile of my airport with takeoff and landing. Um, and that, you know, I would say a large percentage, I should probably look up what the number is, but a, a, probably a large percentage of crashes happen either on the airport or, you know, in the general vicinity of an airport. So knowing that there, you know, is most likely at some point, someday going to be an emergency like that, that we have to respond to, uh, that's something that is always kind of in the back of my mind. And then Obviously, that's I can't control that. That's outside of my control um, unless I'm the one flying the airplane. But, I, you know, how do I then make sure that we are prepared for that if and when that ever happens? Um, because there's a, a likelihood that it will. So what are how can we make sure that we as a staff, as a community, as emergency responders, how are we prepared to be able to, you know, respond to any sort of crisis like that? Um, and then how can I make sure that I'm running my airport and that my staff is running our airport in a safe and efficient manner to prevent that, to, to make sure that if that ever happens, that it has, it has nothing to do with because someone put the wrong type of fuel in an airplane or because we didn't do an airfield inspection and there was a huge piece of debris and, you know, somebody punctured a tire of a Gulfstream or whatever it may be, um, you know, trying to make sure that we're mitigating those risks. So that the people coming in and out of our airport, our customers day to day are, um, you know, can, can have the, the safest experience possible. Um, so, yeah, that's I say I would say that just, you know, keeping trying to keep everybody safe is probably the thing that is on my mind the most. Um, and then I forgot the second part of your question. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was, it was- Pretty much the same question, just split up to like a day-to-day basis. So um, just not knowing if that emergency is ever going to happen to kind of uh, the the bigger, like a, what could close down an airport? Like what is like worst case scenario for uh, like the longevity of the airport? Yeah. So I would say keeping the uh, awareness and support 
um, is probably the biggest thing. You know, we have a, I feel like we're kind of in the aviation sector right now. We're kind of on this like precipice of the next phase. Like what's next for aviation? We've got, you know, the electric vertical and takeoff uh, or electric vertical takeoff and landing, EVTOL stuff coming out. We've got unleaded fuel potentially, you know, there's, there's all these things that we're kind of like barely looking down the road, you know, 10 years thinking things are going to be probably very different and, you know, in the next 10 years or so for our industry. And so how do we stay prepared for that? How do we, you know, make sure that we're, we're, um, staying with the time so that, so that we don't, you know, get shut down in the future. But I, I think, having the the support of your community and of your local officials is probably the biggest part of that. Um, as you, you know, as I was talking about earlier, financially, you know, we, we need support from our, our local community and our local government, even just financially, but they're, they're far less likely to help support us financially if they don't know what we do, they don't understand our value and they don't understand how we, like we talked about earlier, bring value to the community. So um, for me, it's not that hard, honestly, because I work for the city government. So I, you know, my current administration is very, very supportive of the airport. They're at the airport so much. We had a Bonanza fly-in a couple of weeks ago or a Beechcraft fly-in. Um, and our mayor was there all weekend driving shuttles around, like driving people around town to, from one place to the other. And everybody was like, this is crazy. We've never seen a mayor that's like out here at a fly-in event, you know, that's like just totally a part of it. And he ate it up and loved every bit of it. I have to calm him down sometimes. Um, but that's a, that's a good problem to have. And, you know, with your elected officials, you never know when that's going to switch and go the total opposite way to somebody that thinks, well, gosh, we could build a shopping mall, which I guess nobody's building shopping malls anymore, but you know, we could build something better with Amazon all of warehouse your, you know, for prime delivery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We could put a whole Amazon warehouse, which I would say they'd probably need the airport for that. But, you know, we could we could do something with this land other than this, you know, pulley little airport we've got out here. So making sure, you know, that I'm staying in communication, that I'm not just with these specific local officials, but my mind always goes to those officials, no matter who's in office, no matter who gets elected, they work for the people. So if I can make sure that the people know then hopefully I'll always have the people on my side. <laughs> and then they, you know, hopefully the officials will do what the people want. Of course, I know that doesn't always work out that way, but that's, you know, that's kind of how I think about it. So being, you know, I, I speak with the Lions Club and the Rotary Club and uh, the Kiwanis Club and, you know, kind of those civic organizations to try and, you know, make sure that everybody in our community is aware of the airport, what we do, why we do it and all that good stuff. Yeah. And especially when difficult economic times, who knows on the, the horizon, like you never know what's right. first to get cut. And a lot of times it can be aviation. Exactly. So. Yep. For yeah. sure. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. Did you know there are three action steps you can take to protect yourself in a volatile market? Volatility in the market can make the best investor a little nervous and take actions that they know they normally wouldn't. It can be stressful, and you may be thinking, shouldn't I be doing something, though? Well, the answer is yes. The first and maybe the most important action you can take, resist the urge to make decisions based on the recent market movements alone. This is very tough, but it will pay off in the long run. Next, if you're feeling stressed in this market, it may be time to review your risk tolerance and your ability to take a loss in downturns. We all like to think we can take the risk up until the point where we actually see fluctuations in our portfolios. And lastly, get a second opinion on where you stand financially 
so you can take a longer-term view of the market in your financial plan. Don't know where to start? RAA can help. Founded by pilots for pilots and with four decades of financial planning and investment management experience, RAA is intimately familiar with the unique benefits, risks, and career timelines that pilots face. Whether you're early in your career as a pilot or you spent years flying the line, RAA is here to help you navigate your financial journey from takeoff to touchdown. For more pilot-specific planning tips, go to raa.com slash pilot to pilot. And now back to today's episode. Um, talk about a little bit about how does an airport manager make decisions? Like, are you solely in control? You're like, you chose me to do this job. If I want to make sure we spend $1.5 million on uh, an ice cream parlor at the, you know, like, are you the one that makes all these decisions or do you come up with a plan, uh, contract that out and then present to the board? Yeah. So there's a couple of different ways and some of it depends on exactly what decision it is um, to depend on whether I get to make the decision by myself or I'm presenting it to the board or even the city council or both. Um, So I would say most day-to-day operation, like in my FBO manager role, I make most of those decisions myself. I have a budget um, that has been approved by the city council Um, So then as long as I'm within my budget that I have set for the year, um, you know, like we just recently, we have a little kitchen and we had had some vending machines in there, but um, it it was kind of getting difficult to keep the vending machines stocked. Um, The person that was in charge of them was just, we were having communication issues. So I just finally said, okay, we're going to do away with the vending machines. I'm going to buy a nice tall beverage cooler and a shelf and we're going to supply our own snacks and drinks and, you know, have a lockbox for people to put their money in and we're just going to take care of it ourselves. And, you know, so I, I didn't have to approach the board and ask for permission, you know, to do that. Like I, I had the money in my budget to buy the fridge and the shelf. And then, you know, of course the snacks and everything, the money will replenish itself for that. So, um, you know, I, I made that decision as an FBO manager on my own and, you know, small things like that. I, I definitely don't have to ask permission for, but when, you know, I mean, if I was going to spend a million dollars, I definitely would have to get lots and lots of permission for that. So yeah, my budget every year, which we just kind of went through budget season um, happens in the spring. Of course, we follow up the school year, you know, July 1 through June 30th. And so I have to, you know, gather my budget, look at what is my staff being paid? Do I need, does anybody need a raise next year? How, you know, how can we plan for cost of living? Uh, raises and then look at, you know, our expenses and what did I spend last year on this? And am I anticipating any, you know, other expenses and what do I need to add? What do I need to take away? And then I present my budget to the city administration and then the city council. And then it eventually gets approved one way or the other. Um, and then, yeah, so then I'm, I kind of, you know, have a lot of wiggle room within that. Um, but, you know, even within my budget, if I want to make large purchases, I think anything over $5,000 has to be approved by the board of directors. So even if it's something that is within my budget, I still have to have it approved by the board before I make the purchase. Um, so yeah, like if I want to buy a new lawnmower or a new piece of equipment or something, then I usually, depending on what it is, sometimes you have to get quotes and you have to say, okay, well, here's three options, you know, or if you're, especially if you're getting services from somebody, if somebody's coming to fix something or build something, then we have to get quotes if it's over a certain dollar amount. So it's fun. Yeah, sounds like it. And then you also mentioned about like staying with the times. How do you, do you have like a, I mean, I know you've been doing this for two years. So I don't know, but do you have like a five year, 10 year, 30 year, 40 year plan like drawn out for the airport? Is that common? 
are you planning on taking, like, how do you go from where you are now? And then maybe, who knows, you want to be the next JFK in Kentucky and you want airline service. Like, do you have plans like set in place for, for a lot of different scenarios or is it just kind of take everything as it goes and then figure it out along the way? Um, a little of both, I would say. I mean, if you ask me for like my 10 year plan, I don't have anything like physically written down or on my computer that I could necessarily give you. Now I could sit down and talk with you kind of what my vision would be. Um, but I, I, I don't have anything written down. Maybe I should. Um, but I think because of, of all of these changes that are, you know, coming up, which those are things I try to kind of keep up with through, you know, different organizations I'm involved with. Um, AAAE is probably the, the biggest organization. That's the American, American Association of Airport Executives. Um, so I, I take different training courses and things through them. And, you know, they do a good job of kind of keeping, keeping everybody informed, even if it's just through, you know, daily emails of, of news in the industry, what's coming up, what's going on. And, um, you know, so I kind of try to base things on, you know, trends that I'm seeing that are happening or what's coming up. And, um, so, you know, that's something I think of in 10 years, you know, are, are we going to be prepared if, if this easy tall thing happens and people are using these as Ubers, because even though our town isn't very large and it would be kind of silly to get in, you know, a little airplane helicopter situation and go from one side of town to the next, it's not crazy to think of doing that to go to the next largest town over because you have to drive an hour to get to the, the, you know, next largest town that has, you know, a lot more stuff like restaurants and, you know, shopping and stuff like that than our town does. So then why wouldn't you want to get on a, you know, a little EVTOL plane and be there in 15 minutes versus driving an hour? Um, so, you know, if you think of those things potentially being something that's coming down the road, okay, well, how are we going to be prepared? Are we going to have electric charging stations? Are we going to have, you know, how are we prepared to handle that and, and make sure that we can serve that aviation need? Um, you know, uh, and what are we going to do for that? So those are kind of things I think of when I think of, you know, what's coming down the road now, 40 years. I honestly haven't thought that far ahead of time. Um, <laughs> I was just saying numbers. <laughs> I will be straight retired by then. Yeah, <laughs> so. someone else's problem, right? <laughs> exactly. I'll yeah. be sipping margaritas on a beach somewhere. Someone else can think about that. Or you'll be um, drinking but, pilot's coffee or on a rocking chair uh, grading people's landings. <laughs> oh, for sure. I'll definitely be doing that until they have to cart me away. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, your flying. Like, um, I know you had a cub your whole life uh, and it's always been special to you. Have you ever... Are you a cub for life? Like you want to fly other planes or are you just like, give me my yellow cub and I'm good to go? Yeah, no, I, of course I love our cub. Um, that will always and forever be my, my favorite airplane, my baby, my family member. Um, my, my poor son is, you know, um, he's eight years old and I'm like, like, this is going to be your someday. And so you, I hope you like flying. I hope you want to become a pilot because this is it and you can't get rid of it. And, uh, your grandfather and great grandfather would all be, everybody be coming back and in a few years to haunt you if, if you did, uh, which thankfully he loves it. So hopefully that's not anything we have to deal with, but I, I, I will never not want to fly my cub. But that's not the only airplane. It's not the only airplane I fly, and it's not the only airplane I want to fly. Um, mostly because, especially now that I'm more involved in aviation than it just being a hobby, um, we we like to travel and go places as a family. So we, you can only fit two people in the cub, not three. Um, so my husband and my son and I, you know, can't all get in the cub and go somewhere by ourselves. You know, 
travel somewhere for the weekend or whatever. So we're, we're looking at potentially getting something hopefully within the next year or so um, that's a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit more comfortable for um, taking, you know, cross country trips and things like that. Um, and then who knows in the future? I mean, I have a list of, of airplanes I would like to own one day, but I haven't quite figured out how to afford all of them. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how all of that goes, but I, I love vintage tail draggers. That's probably just kind of, that's what I grew up around. Um, I don't think I flew an airplane with a nose wing until I was 30 something years old. Um, every, yeah, all of my flight training was done in our J3, um, a friend's Cessna 140, which is what I used for my instrument training. And then, um, I have a little bit of time at a Stearman, which is probably my most favorite airplane of all, just as far as like fun factor goes. Um, and then, you know, that, that's been the majority of my flying. And since then I've, I've fly 172, I can fly Piper Warrior, um, you know, just planes that I can rent and, and fly when I want to go somewhere. But yeah, so I, I'll, I'll always love the Cub and that will always be my, you know, get in and go have some open door wind in your hair, you know, fl- low and slow flying. But, um, I do like to use airplanes to get places too. And it's just not, you can't really get anywhere quickly in a cup. Yeah, no, uh, a lot of times you will look down and you will see yep. a car passing. Or <laughs> passing. It, it happens. My yeah. dad and I took a 1600 nautical mile trip last fall. Um, we actually went back to almost all of the airports that our cup has been based at since our family has owned it. And my grandfather was a crop duster. My dad was a football coach for many years. So they both moved around a lot. So between Kentucky Georgia, Alabama, and Florida, there's a lot of airports that <laughs> our sweet little cub has lived at over the years. So we decided to take like a little journey to kind of tell our story, um, our family heritage story of owning the cub. And so we we flew, it took us about five days um, going to all of these airports. And we had a headwind three out of the, well, one of the days we didn't actually do any flying. We stayed with some friends, but Three out of the four days of flying all day long, we had headwinds. So we we flew along Interstate 10 going all the way across the Panhandle of Florida one of the days. And it was like the trucks were passing us, not just the cars, but the trucks, you know, and you're like, oh, my gosh. But it was more fun than being on the interstate. So Absolutely. Way more fun. <laughs> just not as great when you see a truck passing you. No, no. We just try not to look down too much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one interesting question that just came to me is, so obviously your family is kind of like an aviation family. How do you maintain that with your kid? Like, is there, do you think there's like an underlying pressure that, well, everyone in my family's done this, I have to do it. Or is it totally okay if he's like, you know what, mom, I don't really like planes. I want to do something else. Yeah. So I think I, um, I felt that pressure growing up and it wasn't anything that my dad, my mom is not a pilot. Um, she enjoys flying occasionally, but that's not like something she wants to do all the time. And it's, it's never something she really, you know, had a desire to learn or be a pilot or anything like that. Um, but she supports all of our aviation addictions, which is really great of her. But, um, I, my dad never intentionally, you know, put that pressure on me by any stretch um, but I, I felt it nonetheless, um, as a teenager. And when I was, you know, kind of at the age of, of flight training, I, I always loved it growing up and it was fun. And, you know, Sunday afternoons, we went out to the airport and flew and my dad and my brother and I, um, my older brother is legally blind, so he can't get his pilot's license because of that. 
Um, but he, you know, loved flying just the same as the rest of us and, and would go out and, and fly with us. Um, but as I got older and, you know, I was kind of that teenage years, it was like, okay, Sunday afternoons could be a social time for me where I could go hang out with my friends or it could be go to the airport where it's me, my dad, my brother, and maybe some other guys, my dad's age. There was usually not ever any women around and certainly nobody my age, um, other than, you know, my brother, but <clears throat> it was, you know, so I had to kind of make choices and that was difficult for me. Um, and when I went to college, I, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say I got out of aviation. I flew every time I came home, but I moved pretty far away to go to college and then, uh, just was not, you know, in it a lot, um, until, until I got older. But I think that pressure, like there's, there's, it's going to be there for my son, whether I, I try not to, you know, make it so or not. And even, especially now, when I was growing up, I knew, okay, well, we've obviously had this cub for a long time, but it's really just been in the last like five years that I've been like, wow, this is actually a really big deal that we have had this airplane for as long as we have. Like 73 years is a long time to own an airplane. I thought when as a kid that that was what everybody did, that you just bought an airplane and then you just kept it for forever and ever and passed it down to your kids and grandkids. Um, that's not what normal people do. Normal people buy airplanes. They sell airplanes the same as we do cars. And so, you know, obviously I guess as each generation goes on, the pressure is probably going to get a little bit more and a little bit more. Cause I mean, once you've owned this thing for a hundred years, you can't sell it. Are you kidding me? So, you know, but there may come a day where no one in our family wants to, wants to be a pilot or wants to learn. And I, I certainly hope, and you know, I, I want my son to love flying and to want to be a pilot. And so far he does. But if he decides, you know, in five years from now that he hates it or he gets airsick or he, you know, just doesn't want any part of it, then he's my, he's still my son. And there's a lot more important things than flying. And, you know, I'll just have to figure out how to live forever. I guess it'll be fine. But, <laughs> you know, so, I mean, that it's, it's, it's hard to not have that pressure there. I think even I'm, I'm experiencing now what I feel like I'm like, okay, now I kind of see things from my dad's perspective. You know, when I was young, it was kind of like, Oh gosh, like it's all up to me. I have to, you know, be the pilot and I have to do the thing. And, and now I guess I'm, I'm kind of seeing his perspective now as a parent. Um, but it, it, like I said, it's just, it's kind of inherently there. There's really not much you can do about it, but I, of course I, I hope and pray that I can, support my child in whatever he wants to do and whatever his endeavors end up being, even if it's not in aviation. Now he keeps saying he wants to be an astronaut. So I'm like, you got to learn to fly if you want to be a good astronaut. Right. And that's going to be an important skill. So yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what's uh, what's one of your favorite parts of uh, becoming an airport manager? I think the people um, that's my favorite part of aviation in general is, is the people. I'm a people person. I like talking to people. I like meeting new people. Um, so that's always, you know, been a fun part of aviation for me. That's the funnest part of the whole social media thing for me too. Um, even though sometimes people are weird and crazy, but most people are nice and, and cool and, you know, encouraging. And, and that's, that's been the funnest part of being an airport manager is even though, you know, I think I thought I'm going to take a job at an airport and I'm going to get to do a lot more flying. And I feel like I do less flying <laughs> than I used to. <laughs> I just watch other people fly all day now, but, um, but, you know, getting to meet people that come into the airport for one reason or another, you know, is, is the funnest part. Um, I've met people from all over the country and uh, I, I love hearing people's stories and where did you come from and what are, you know, why did you stop here? Whether they just stopped for fuel and to take a break or they got diverted because of weather or they're here on business or visiting family members, whatever it is. You know, I, I just really 
love getting to know the people. And um, yeah, so I think that's my favorite part for sure. Now, you have to be honest about this. Is there an airplane that you will see taxi in? Not necessarily like one person's airplane, but just like a type of airplane that usually means trouble and it makes you roll your eyes or makes you hide and hide and <laughs> not want to see it. Is there like one airplane everyone or your airport just like can't stand or is just like, oh no, these always cause trouble? Uh, my line guys might answer that question better than me because they're the ones out there doing most of the fueling. I do that occasionally, but they do it more than I do. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't have anything for me. Um, we don't, I don't have anything that I'm just like, Oh my God. Like I said, there may be, there may be a certain type of, I know there, I can't think of what it was. It may, it might've been a phenom 300 we had in the other day and they wanted to use the GPU and their GPU is on one side of the aircraft and like the way it had to be positioned uh, it's on the opposite side of where it is on like a citation we have a citation based at our airport so we're very comfortable all of us are very comfortable and familiar with unplugging the gpu and you know helping our citation get going um but when we do it for other aircraft and we get them parts then the like i said the gpu was on the wrong side of the aircraft so it's like you had to go underneath the whole thing to unplug the gpu from where the thing is plugged in and then you had to move it, you know, so they didn't run over it. Um, so anyways, that, I think that was kind of a pain in the butt for my line guys. They were not really happy with uh, <laughs> all that, but it is what it is. So yeah, we'll, we'll have to park them somewhere different next time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's really cool. Uh, I always like, I took that, I did air, aviation management or not airport, yeah, aviation management in college. Mm-hmm. And I always thought it'd be cool to, to run an airport and what it did and, it kind of stopped there. It's kind of like, oh, I'll just fly. But it was, I always thought, you <laughs> You're know, making hey. more money than me. I can tell you that. So <laughs> probably a smart choice. But. Yeah. But the, the one, the one good thing you don't have to deal with so far is uh, the crazy complaints of people and public opinion that just like is shutting down so many airports that have had a crazy history and have uh, done so many cool things for either communities or anything like that. So it's actually very thankful that you're located where you are because that is a very fast track to, to losing an airport or having so many restrictions. Yeah. And I know, you know, especially with those airports out in California right now, it's been a struggle. And, um, it's one of those things that I think here in Kentucky, you know, that's kind of the, the benefit of being kind of out in the country. We don't have to, you know, we're not having to deal with a lot of the things that they have to deal with over there just because of where they're located. Um, and, and like you said, that public opinion. So it sometimes Kentucky's like, well, I would say we're probably like a year or two behind a lot of places in the country. And we're probably like five years behind California in certain places. So hopefully that doesn't mean in five years, everybody's going to want to shut our airport down. Um, I don't, I don't see that happening, but um, it, it's always, like I said earlier, it's always something you kind of have to have in the back of your mind. And, and that's why it's important to kind of keep, try to keep the the positivity flow in, in the community and with the local officials and all that good stuff. Have you ever had anyone recognize you yet? That's like landing or they say they go to your snack room and they grab a snack and they see you and like, whoa, 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 you make videos <laughs> online. I've seen you before. So the first time that happened, um, cause I, my Instagram has really grown over the last, well, it's been probably about a year, but I started kind of intentionally posting eight, like only pretty much aviation stuff about a year ago. So last spring, and it was mostly because my dad and I were recovering doing the fabric work on our cub. We were totally recovering the fuselage. And I was like, I want to document this and I want to, you know, share this. So then I was just kind of like, you know what, why don't I just make my Instagram kind of more 
just aviation stuff instead of just like posting pictures of my kid or my cat or whatever. So that's when I kind of started, you know, intentionally doing that. Um, and it was, you know, very slow growth for a while. I started making reels, which that's kind of the, the way to grow your Instagram. If you want to grow it, you got to make the reels. So once I kind of figured that out, then I would say sometime last fall, it kind of started, you know, growing quicker than I expected. I had a, a few videos, you know, that got a couple hundred thousand views or whatever it was. And um, so, you know, now it's like, oh, I have like 15,000 people that follow me, which sometimes absolutely just humbles me to the floor, which I know that is not compared to people who have like 100,000 or a million followers is nothing. But still 15,000 people is a lot of people if you pack them all in a room together. Like that's, that's a lot of people. It's, so sometimes I'm like, oh, that's, that's a lot of pressure to like make sure I'm trying to, you know, be kind and genuine. And, and so when I went to the women in aviation conference in March, um, that was the first place I had been like a public, you know, event or whatever. Cause when I went to Oshkosh last year, there wasn't, I had like a thousand followers. So I mean, like nobody recognized me. Nobody, you know, that wasn't really a thing. Um, but when I went to women in aviation, I had the first day I was down in the expo hall and, you know, just kind of walking around by myself, looking at stuff. And I had a couple of girls that came up to me and said, Hey, do you post funny videos on Instagram? And I was like, I think, (laughs) 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 I I think my videos are kind of funny, but I don't know. Maybe do you think they're funny? (laughs) You know, they were like, are you, are you Emily? And I was like, yeah. And they were like, Oh, we love your Instagram. And I had, I was like, I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to act. Like, I don't know what to say. And I was, you know, of course I was just trying to be gracious and thank you all so much. And I asked them their names and, you know, we stood there and talked for a minute or two, but that happened a couple, two or three other times throughout the course of the next couple of days. And so that was my first, like, yeah, I guess micro celebrity influencer, whatever you want to call it, you know, moment of, of getting recognized, you know, and like I said, I love people. I love meeting people, you know, so if it, you know, brings me more friends, then I'm all for it. And Instagram honestly has, I feel like there are people that I talk with on a somewhat, maybe not daily basis, but like weekly basis. I know their, their spouses and their kids. And I've, you know, visited a couple of them or they visited me or whatever the case may be. And, um, you know, I, I gotten to know their families, which has been really cool. So, um, I've loved that it's kind of connected me with, like-minded people that, you know, maybe don't live near me, but that we've, we've formed friendships, which has been really neat. Yeah. It's crazy. I feel like I have more internet friends and real friends right now, which is wild. Oh, 100%. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, can someone just, I just want to go out to dinner, or go, go out for a drink. There's no way. I don't have any friends here. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Someone. someone fly in and come, yeah. come have drinks. There you go. Be careful. You just invited a lot of people to, to come fly in and go get drinks. So you might be uh, taking that back. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Just DM me first. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Now it is time for the rapid fire section. Today's rapid fire section is sponsored by Sirius XM Aviation. With high resolution coast to coast composite radar and cloud to cloud, cloud to ground lightning updated every 2.5 minutes along with always available weather products like METARs, ECHOTOPS, and storm tracks. Sirius XM lets you fly confidently knowing that your weather information is available at 500 feet or at your destination 500 miles ahead. Check out AOPA.org forward slash series XM to get a two month free trial to try these products out for yourself. All right. I have some rapid fire questions for you. They are aviation themed questions. You just answer the fastest. The first answer comes to your mind. Okay. What's your favorite plane ever made? November six, seven, four, five hotel. Hybrid J three cup. <laughs> what about a uh, corporate jet? If you have one. Ooh, 
Um, I like the Gulf streams. They're nice. Fair enough. I like those too. Those are sweet. One day, you know, that'd be cool. Have you had, <laughs> you do you have Gulf streams come very often or not really? No, very seldom. I think we've, we had a G4 in uh, a couple weeks ago and then we had a G5 come in last summer. And I honestly was like, Oh my God, this is the biggest airplane that's ever <laughs> been know, in here. Right? It looked like a, it looked like a 737 coming in yeah, um, on approach. So yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's pretty wild. Uh, what about an airliner? Do you have a favorite airliner? Not really. I mean, I feel like I almost always fly Southwest for the most part. So, I mean, I'm, you know, yeah. rocking the 737 life. <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, what's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh, man. And not all airplanes are beautiful, so you can't use No, that. they're not. They're not. So, there's actually one sitting at um, the airport in my town. I was actually out there this morning just like playing. With, I got a new phone. I was playing with my camera. And I don't know what it's called. I want to say it's an Aerostar, but I don't think that's what it is. Um, but it, it's a, a big twin and it's, it's a high wing, but it like looks like it's sitting on its belly. I don't know what it is. It's, it is ugly. Um, and then there's that one old, I feel like it's a, um, it's not a champ, but it's a, the same company that makes them. Um, and it looks like they call it a bathtub. It's got the big, huge belly. That thing is ugly. Was the, the so. twin an aero commander? Yes, Air Commander. Yeah. That's it. I have a $100. That's what Bob Hoover flew, right? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah, they're well, this one is not as pretty as Bob Hoover's was. <laughs> he made that airplane look good, but this one's sitting on the ramp. It's kind of, it's just been yeah. sitting there for a few months. They're so. interesting planes. That is for sure. But they can do some That's cool cool. stuff, especially cool. when Bob Hoover's flying one. For sure. Uh, what's something you wish you knew before you got involved in? I'm going to make this more specific. Before you got involved in aviation management. What's something I you knew? wish you knew before you got involved wish, in your current job? Oh. Um, gosh, that's kind of a tough one. There's a lot of things I wish I knew. Um, I think I just wish I knew more like things about how airports actually worked and operated. Um, so there's just so many things that I've had to like learn because something went wrong or something happened. Um, you know, that I, I would even just like, what when we had a construction project my very first year and somebody came up and used a wire brush to clean stuff off of the asphalt and then that left those little tiny little pieces of wire everywhere and like you can't have those on airports because those puncture tires <laughs> so you know just stuff like that like for me to have known ahead of time to make sure that that was communicated to the construction or the contractor not to use uh, stuff that I just would have never thought about Who's someone in the industry you'd like to meet most? It could be like a famous person from the early aviation times or someone on any, on the internet. Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I would have loved to I, like met just some of the early women pioneers and uh, you know, I've, I've been really blessed to know some, some cool women through my 99 chapter that, you know, flew and were active in flying 50, 60 years ago when it was, you know, it's, I mean, obviously women still is kind of a novelty in aviation, but it definitely 50 years ago they were. Um, but yeah, just some of like Bessie Coleman, Amelia Earhart, um, just some of those early women, you know, pioneers of aviation. Yeah. I think that'd be really cool as well. What is your overall favorite thing about aviation? The people, 100% uh, the people. Uh, people. I, and some of them make me crazy. Um, <laughs> just people in general, you yeah. know, can make you crazy, but gosh, they're, they're just the best. And it's, it's so, it's just always so refreshing to have people come in that even though if I look at their Facebook profile, I'm like, I don't agree with literally anything that they think or say, but 
uh, they, I, I love, I love them. And it's so great to have them come into the airport to just sit down, talk about airplanes, talk about flying, you know, and it just kind of, it's that one thing that connects us all um, and reminds us that we're human and we're all, we're all in this together. Yes, so. we are. Uh, IFR or VFR? VFR. What's your favorite airport food? So in your case, we'll say you are landing at a random airport. You take the crew car. What kind of food are you always looking to go get? Ooh, uh, I try to get local recommendations. Um, so, you know, if it's a small town, you know, what's, what's the Mexican restaurant I should go to, not the Mexican restaurant I don't want to go to. Um, or, you know, uh, I don't know that maybe that's a Kentucky thing. All small towns have Mexican restaurants. Um, but yeah, lo- something local. So not Applebee's, not Cracker Barrel, not, you know, what everybody, not the chains. I want to go to a local place. Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, cities, or the country? Uh, the country, probably. Well, uh, long trips or short trips? So let's say you're taking your cub up and you can do as many touch and goes as you can in one day or do the long flight over the panhandle with a headwind where you're watching trucks take, <laughs> take over. Uh, short flights, for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah, especially in the cup. What's the hardest check ride you've ever had to take? Uh, I've only taken one check ride. So oh, I thought you were doing pilot. your IFR. <laughs> Did you? Well, I'm, I'm working on it. But oh, I haven't taken the check there you right. go. So, oh, yeah. that answer is going to be pretty easy then. <laughs> yeah, that's, it, it's going to switch. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure of it. <laughs> What's the hardest flight you've ever flown? Um, hardest flight I've ever flown. Most Gosh, challenging. I, maybe that's a better way to say. Yeah, it. yeah. I would just say um, there. So I flew once. I we had our my airplane here where my dad lives is about an hour drive. Uh, it's about a forty minute flight in the Cub from me. And that's where our cut is based. Most of the time I had it, um, here with me for an event. And then I was flying it back to him. It was in the middle of August, super muggy, super bumpy. I mean, I just got beat to hell that flight. That was probably the most challenging, just keeping myself able under control of the airplane and not getting sick, (laughs) which I never get sick, but that day, it was tough. What's your favorite flight you've ever flown? Most rewarding flight. I need to figure out a better way to ask these. There we go. Most rewarding flight you've ever had. Yeah. I would say um, all of the flights that my dad and I did on our trip last fall, uh, which we still have a couple more to go for airports up here in Kentucky. But um, that was the coolest trip, cross country, whatever you want to call it. Um, it. Not only was it, it's it's the most time that my dad and I have ever spent in that airplane together on cross country flights. Of course, we spent. He pre, he taught me how to fly. Pretty much, he's not a CFI, but he taught me how to fly. I flew with a CFI for like two hours before I soloed. Um, so I, I, I've spent a ton of time in that airplane with my father. But a lot of that had been um, up to this point, you know, him teaching me. And so it wasn't always just fun and relaxing. And um, so it was really cool that that trip that we took. I really, really loved the time that I got to spend with him talking about our Cubs history and, and even our family's history and going back to some of the places that, you know, they lived before I was born and hearing stories of those places and flying over the house where they used to live and things like that was really, really neat. What's the favorite, your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Mm. Favorite airport. And my follow-up question is me, what's your least favorite airport? I would say my favorite airport is the one that I, I didn't necessarily grow up flying on this one. It wasn't what I was fly- where I was flying when I initially started my flight training, but it's where I soloed and it's where I did my private pilot check ride, um, which is it's an air park in Northwest Florida. My mom and dad lived there for about 13 years. 
um, 3000 foot grass strip and, you know, just our, our friends and neighbors all living out there. Um, I have a great picture from the day I soloed taken from one place and taken of the airplane and across the runway, you can see people standing in the hangar across the runway cheering for me as I'm doing my first landing. Um, so that was, that, that place is really, really special to me. That's definitely my favorite. I know. Um, least favorite, honestly, I'm going to say, and this is only because I probably did the worst landing I've ever done in my entire life there. Um, French Lake, Indiana. I don't know. I just, I don't like the approach to that, that runway for some reason, or maybe it's just the one, I don't know. It was a bad day when I landed there. I hated it. Everyone has an airport that they just uh, don't appreciate and don't like. So it's all good. I don't like that. That could be someone's favorite airport. That could be your there's someone else's favorite airport where they had all the I'm friends sure and family cheering them on, and now we're just making yeah. fun of it. Yeah, it's crazy. And there's probably <laughs> tons of people that love flying in there because they've got a great little touristy area and some great things around French Lick. But nah, nope, not for me. Yeah, hey, it's all good. All right, those are all the questions I have for you, Emily. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's really cool just to hear all the different sides of aviation. And like I said earlier, I've never had anyone in aviation management come on specifically being the airport manager themselves. So it's really cool to have you on and I'm very excited for this to come out. Um, Before we go, uh, let people know where they can follow you on social media so more people can stop you and uh, ask you if you make the funny videos on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. It was an honor. I've I've always listened to your podcast uh, and and love it. So thank you so much. Um, I am Emily at, excuse me, at Emily at the airport, which I know that gets kind of crazy um, on Instagram, Emily at the airport on Facebook. I have a YouTube channel, Emily at the airport, but it does not have any videos yet. Those are forthcoming. Um, YouTube is hard. There's a lot of editing involved way more than Instagram. So yeah, YouTube, YouTube's a rough Someday. life, man. <laughs> I wish you the best of that. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, your videos are hilarious. Uh, I appreciate all Thanks. of them. And I just love seeing more people get involved in aviation. And uh, I hope Thanks. that, we can keep getting especially more more girls out in aviation. So uh, I love it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, well, thank you for what you do. You do an awesome job and appreciate, appreciate the podcast. And I, I, I'm the same. I really love sharing with people all the different sides of the industry. There's just so much out there that most people don't know about. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And then you never know who is going to hear it and be like, well, I want to do that. That's cool. You never know. Yeah, so if definitely. someone wants to be an airport or an aviation airport manager, you know who to reach out to now. That's right. Perfect. Well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you, Justin. And that's a wrap on episode 223 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Like I said earlier, follow Pilot the Pilot, follow Pilot's Coffee and check it out. And be on the lookout on Instagram to check out the move. Might be doing another question and answer soon because I have packed up all the podcast equipment and I won't have it for two weeks. So got to get creative here. But Haven Nation, I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.